Well, happy Sabbath. Ah, oh, that was terribly weak. I know canvassers know that I should be happy that the Sabbath is coming. We work hard all week, so let's try this again. Happy Sabbath. All right, that's a little better. Well, I'm thankful to be here with you all. Uh, Mike asked me just moments ago, are you nervous? And I said, yes, I am nervous. And he says, I am too. And that was just really comforting. Um, but I am thankful to be up here with you all and to share the word of life with you. How many of you have been blessed thus far with the testimony that was just shared? Powerful testimony, huh? God could change anybody and everybody if we just give him a chance. Um, I am so thankful to be part of the canvassing work. I've been doing this for a little bit over seven years, and the canvassing work has made my relationship with God a reality. It has taught me to pray like I've never prayed before. It's taught me to seek God like I've never sought Him before. It's changed my life. How about you? Amen. I remember this last year I finished doing an evangelistic series uh, with my fiance. Where is she? There she is. Hello. How you doing? Um, finished doing an evangelistic series in Redlands, California. And I got a little taste of to see how, how powerful the canvassing work is. Um, there was a couple that were coming to the meetings because they thought that they got a flyer at their door and they thought they were going to go watch a movie at, at a church. The graphics, it was called The Dawning, The Rising of the Sun. So they thought it was going to be a movie and somebody was going to be showing it at church. So they thought, no, all right, let's go. So they, they came into the church expecting to see a movie. Then I came on, on the platform and I started preaching. Anyways, it captivated them. The Word of God became alive to them, and, and they came night after night. Amen? Well, what was so powerful about this, I saw them coming night after night, and every night I tried to catch up to them, tried to meet them, tried to, tried to see if I could answer any of their objections that they may have had. But they, keep, they seem to keep slipping away. Well, one of the canvassers was leaving uh, the church, and he was in the same parking lot as, she, as this couple was. And as they were about to get into the car, the couple says, hey, wait a minute, I know you. And the canvasser is like, you do? And she's like, yes, you knocked on my door this last summer. Almost a year ago, you knocked on my door. And he's like, really? He's like, yeah, I'll never forget you. You had the most wonderful smile and you were so persistent. She, she said, I remember it was a Sunday morning. We were getting ready to go to church. Uh, Sunday afternoon, excuse me, we were getting ready to go to church and, and we were just out the door, but you kept showing us these books. Finally, my husband just stopped, looked at the great controversy and said, I need that book. So he got the book, he started reading it. He said he read it in, uh, in less than two months. Finished the great controversy and ever since that time, almost a whole year, he, his wife said to this young man, we have been looking for a church that preaches things that come from this book. So I praise the Lord that our work is not in vain. Can you say amen out there? Amen. That when we put literature in people's homes, the Bible, Alan White says that they will be read, that they will have an impact. And friends, I don't think there's a better time to get literature into people's homes than today. I truly believe we are living at the brink of seeing Christ coming. I don't know about you, I was talking to Anthony Baca and he has been convicted more. I've been talking to Larry. I've been dreaming about the second coming. I've been, it's, I, every night when I go to bed, that's the last thing that comes into my mind is seeing Jesus come in the clouds of glory. It's one of the most exciting things to me. I, I see a prophecy is being fulfilled. Can you say amen? amen? Things that are happening around this world is showing that God is coming soon. For example, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to come and, and the time that we're going to be living in is like Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality. We are seeing that happening today being legalized. 
The other things that we see is, is a pope coming into town, being invited into the Senate to speak to the Senate, to the, to, to, to the Congress, to be able to get a voice out, to talk about the problems of this world and how to solve it. Friends, we are living right now at the edges of seeing Christ come. And it's a great privilege to be part of hastening His coming. Well, I know it's almost 8 o'clock, and we just heard a powerful message, and we have been canvassing for 10 weeks, and we're kind of tired. But I'm not going to preach for 40 days and 40 nights. Just give me about 40 minutes. Can we, can we be sustained by that? Yes. Amen? All right. Well, without further ado, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. My Father, which is in heaven, Father, we know that you're coming. We see the signs all around us. And Father, I pray that you would please speak right now. Father, I pray that you will remove all distractions. That all of a sudden our cell phones will just die. And the Bible next to us will come alive. Father, I pray that you would please, I beg of you, give us your Holy Spirit. Inspire us, Father, not to just finish this canvassing experience and go home and do the same thing we were doing before this. But leave this place as missionaries for you till you come. Inspire us, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the sermon title for today is called Starving Jesus. Starving Jesus. How many of you have ever felt like you were starving? All right, probably when you started canvassing and you learned that you only ate two meals a day, how many of you felt like you were starving after the first day of canvassing? Yeah, I, I, yeah, okay. All right, yeah, we understand that. So how many of you have ever craved something? Like a soy ice cream or something like that? Like carob or something? How many of you have ever just crave something until you had it, you needed it in order to be satisfied, yes? I remember uh, my first mission trip was to the Philippines in 2008 with Mike Tuzan. It was there in the Philippines where I felt God's leading and calling to doing full-time ministry. And there in the Philippines, you have, one of the, you have the greatest fruits in the world. Amen. You got mango. I remember when we got there, it was just in season. They were giving us platters of mangoes. It was just amazing. Amazing. It was awesome. I remember I got introduced to a new food I've never seen before. It's called mangosteen. How many of you have ever had mangosteen? I mean, it was amazing. I was having all the fruits I ever wanted, my favorite fruits. But you know, after the second week, there was something that I was craving that somehow I couldn't get there. I didn't get there. Now, I am Hispanic. I am half Mexican and half Puerto Rican. And you know, fruit is important, but I think beans are a little bit more important. And after two weeks, I was craving frijoles. I was just craving it. I was wanting to see a bean somewhere so I could devour it. And I remember the, when I got home, that was the first thing I, I, I hugged my sister, my dad, I kissed my mom and said, all right, give me some beans. I am hungry. I am craving this. I remember last year I had the privilege of going to uh, India. India is an amazing place. And this is kind of ironic because I'm a Hispanic that doesn't like spicy food. I can't stand it. I, I just, tapatio is just terrible. Rips my stomach. Anyways, I remember going to India. Now, if any of you know what Indians love, what do they love? Love spicy food. So I was there and I, I just tried to go around the spice, but I couldn't. I would go into restaurants with my guide and I would say, look, I want my food as spicy as a banana. Can you do that for me? And, you know, they just failed every single time. It got so bad that my guy that was traveling with me had to go into the kitchen of restaurants and make me food. 
because I, I just couldn't handle anything. Well, there was one thing that I was craving after the second week of being out in India. You know what it was? Beans without any spice. I remember the third week, after the third week of coming back from India, I landed into uh, Portland. And as I landed into Portland, I almost hugged the guy next to me. Because I was so excited that I'm about to eat food that doesn't have to be spicy. You know, all of us have probably craved some things at times. All of us maybe have been deprived of things that we love and things that we cherish and things that we seem to take for granted often. But I have a question for you. Do you think Jesus craves anything? Do you think Jesus is, is looking for something to satisfy his needs? Turn to a familiar story in the Bible. Turn to John chapter 4. I want to show you some things from John chapter 4 as we continue on the topic of starving Jesus. John chapter 4. When you're there in the you're a hearty, happy, cold porter, amen. All right, John chapter 4. Here the page is turning. Are we all there, amen? John chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 1 the following. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judah and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through where? Samaria. Now, Question, why does Jesus need to leave Judea and go into Galilee? Why does Jesus need to go? What was going on right now? We just read a couple of verses. What was going on right now? Why did Jesus have to leave or feel like he needed to go? Controversy, right? And if you read the context, the Pharisees were in the middle of trying to divide John's disciples with Jesus' disciples. The Pharisees were doing something like, hey, who baptized more, Jesus or John? Oh, so Jesus is a better evangelist than John? Oh, oh John baptized more? And there was just a controversy happening between the, the, the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus. And one thing I love about Jesus, he does not love controversy. He doesn't like it. So one thing that Jesus did right here is he said, you know what? I'm going to go. I need to go to Galilee. But the Bible says something very interesting. If you catch it, you probably miss this whole story. What does Jesus say? Or what is the context of this saying? He needs to go where? To Samaria. So here's Jesus. He says, okay, we need to get out of here. There's too much division, too much conflict. Let's go to, to Galilee. But we need to go through Samaria in order to get to Galilee. Question. Is Samaria the only way from where they're at to get to Galilee? No. In fact, most Jews during the feast would take a different route. They'd take the Jordan Valley route around Samaria. Why? Why, why, why don't they just go through Samaria? It's a little bit easier. It's a little bit quicker. Why would most Jews go through the Jordan Valley route around Samaria? Why would they do it? They hated the Samaritans. In fact, Ellen White talks about this a little bit. She says, the Jews and the Samaritans were bitter enemies and as far as possible avoided all dealings with each other. A Jew would not borrow from a Samaritan nor receive kindness, not even a morsel of bread or a cup of water. Are you guys with me? 
So why does the Bible say that they need to go through Samaria? Jesus is just living, or just leaving this place, this time, where there was just a lot of conflict, a lot of division. Jesus left that, and you would think he would go a direction where there wouldn't be any conflict, where they would take a break from the conflict that they were just dealing with. But Jesus, the Bible says they needed to go through Samaria, a place to where their enemies, the most bitter of their enemies are. Why? Why did Jesus decide, you know what, we need to go through Samaria. I know it's not our route that typically we take. I know it's not the most popular route. I know it's not the most peaceful route. But we need to go through Samaria. Why? Let me tell you something else about Samaritans. In John chapter 8, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says, you are of the father, your devil, and the lusts of him do you do. In John chapter 8, verse 44, in order for the Pharisees to get back at Jesus, they call him this. They say, they tell him in John chapter 8, verse 48, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So one of the ways that the Pharisees got back at Jesus was to call him a demon-possessed man who's a Samaritan. So in the eyes and the mind of the Jews, a Samaritan is almost as equal of being demon-possessed. Not good. And Jesus is saying, or the context is saying here, we need to go through Samaria. Question is why? You probably know the answer. Oh, because he wants to see the, the woman at the well. And yeah, that's true. But I don't want you to miss something. This is absolutely powerful. Let's keep reading in John chapter 4, verse 5. As we continue on the topic, starving Jesus, the Bible says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There comes a woman of Samaria to drink water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which I am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now before we talk about the woman at the well, let's talk about the well. What well, what's this well called? I can't hear you. What's this well called, everybody? Are you sure? Mm. This is going to be good. Is this called Jacob's well in the Bible? Right here, it's termed Jacob's well, but I want to show you something absolutely profound of where this well is and who actually established it, who actually made this land of, of where, this, of where this, uh, this, this well was eventually made. Turn to your Bibles. Keep your ribbon there if you have it. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Let's talk a little bit about this well, Jacob's well. We'll find it in Genesis chapter 12 where this, first, this, this all took place. Genesis, the 12th chapter, as we continue on the topic uh, starving Jesus. When you're there to me, you're an amen. All right, the Bible says, you know this. The Bible says in verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get you out of your country and from your kindred, and from your father's house unto a land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a what, everybody? A blessing. Verse 3, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse him that curses you, and in you shall all families of the earth be what, everybody? Blessed. Notice verse 6. And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. 
And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto the seed, I will give you this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So here's Abraham, and the very first place that he builds an altar is where? It's in Shechem. Is it where, everybody? Shechem. This is where Abraham builds his first altar to the Lord. Are you guys with me? If you're with me, say amen. Now watch this. Fast forward uh, all the way to Jacob, his grandson. Go to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33. Powerful. Genesis chapter 33, verse 18. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Bet- Padan Aram and pitched his tent before the city, and he bought a parcel of the field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of, of money, and he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So what was this altar that he erected? What was it called, everybody? Yeah, it's kind of a hard word. What does it mean? It means God, the God of Israel. Are you guys with me? All right, so let's, let's rewind a little bit. We see Abraham, the first place he makes an altar is in Shechem. He, he, or he, he bows down, he sacrifices, boom. First altar that, that Abraham makes is in Shechem. Then you fast forward a little bit. Here's Jacob, and he is in Shechem. And, and, and what is he doing there? He, is, he finds this altar, or he makes this altar, and he calls it God, the God of Israel. Now notice what Mrs. White says. It was here that Abraham, more than a hundred years before, had made his first encampment and erected his first altar in the land of promise. Like Abraham, Jacob set up beside his tent an altar unto the Lord, calling the members of his household to morning and evening sacrifice. It was here also that he dug the well to which 17 centuries later came Jacob's sons and Savior, and besides which, resting during the noontime heat, he told his wondering hearers of that well of water springing up into everlasting life. So this well is made right next to this altar, and this altar was called what, everybody? Very hard word, let's just summarize in English. It means God, the God of what? Israel. So here, here's this altar, here's this well, and right there in that location, Jacob bows down, makes an altar, and he says, God, the God of Israel. So notice, where is God, or where is Jesus? He is at this well, but is in the location of Shechem, and it's this well where God, or excuse me, where Jacob himself says, this is where the God of Israel is. Mm. Fast forward. Here's Jesus at this well where an altar has been erected long time before describing that God, the God of Israel, is here. Now what's absolutely powerful is this God needs something. This God that provided for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God that got them everywhere, is now in the place where where Jacob dedicated dedicated this altar to God, saying, the God, the God of Israel, He's here. This is where He has brought me. This is where He's led me. And here is God, and the very God whose altar this is named after, here He is needing something. Ellen White says, as Jesus sat by the well, He was faint from hunger and thirst. 
The journey since morning had been long, and now the sun of the noontime heat beat upon him. His thirst was increased by the thought of the cool, refreshing water so near, yet inaccessible to him, for he had no wa- rope, no water jar, and the well was deep. The lot of humanity was his, but he waited for someone to come to draw the water. Look, can Jesus get that water if he wanted to? He could have. But he wanted somebody else to satisfy his needs. Jesus is not a selfish man. He could have done it himself. But he says, I'm going to give the privilege of having a person fulfill my needs. Now watch this. Turn back to John 4. Turn back to John 4. If you're awake, let me hear a hearty, happy, awake, amen. Amen. John chapter 4, very good. We're looking at verse 7. Now, wells, you have to understand something. Wells, back in the east, um, they were called the gift of God. Wells were called the gift of God. Why? Well, because back in the east, rainfall only happened, let me see here in my notes, it only happened a few times. Or, excuse me. There was only a few rivers in the east. And the, and the rainfall would only come from October to April. So during the months of May through September, they needed water. So wells were called the gift of God because they provided life when there was no life around them. Are you with me? Yes? So here's Jesus. John chapter 4. We're looking at verse 7. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you being a Jew ask drink of me, which I am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Notice verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew what everybody? Now, in her mind, what does the gift of God mean? Water, the well. Notice what Jesus says. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that that is asking you to give him a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying, I'm asking you for the gift of, of God, but I am here to give you the gift of God. I am asking you to fulfill my needs, but I really am here to fulfill your needs. Now, now watch, don't, don't, don't grow weary now. We're about to get into it. Right now, let's just, we understand this story. We've probably heard it a thousand times. Probably have heard at the woman at the well I was seeking a hundred times. We know the story. We know this. I don't want you to miss this though. Let's go a little bit deeper about wells in the Bible. Let's look at one of the first wells that was established by Father Abraham. Turn to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21 as we continue on the topic, starving Jesus. Genesis, the 21st chapter, and when you're there, let me hear an amen. Genesis chapter 21. We're looking at wells. When was the first well made for God, or made in general? Genesis chapter 21 was one of the first times you'll ever read about the well, and it's in verse 25. You'll read it a little bit by Hagar, his, 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 Sarah's maidservant and all this stuff, but here's really where it gets powerful. Genesis chapter 21, verse 25. Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's sermon had violently taken away. So notice here, is Abraham happy here? Come on, speak to me. Is he rejoicing? He is angry. The Bible says Abraham is rebuking a king. Uh, Some of us didn't catch that. Abraham is rebuking a king over a well. 
Now notice what the Bible says in verse 25. It says, and, and which Abimelech's servant had violently taken away. So Abraham's like talking to the king, rebuking him, saying, look, you, your servants have taken away my well. My well. Now you got to understand something. Wells in the Bible mean a lot. It means your life source. It means, uh, it, it means like support. It means protection. It means that you have wealth. It means that you have needs of providing for it. It means a lot of things. And here's Abraham arguing with the king saying, look, you took my well. Now notice this, verse 26. Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this thing. Neither did you tell me, neither yet I heard of it, but today... And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set besides them by, by themselves? And he said, For these seven lambs you shall take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called the place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Are you guys with me? What just happened here? Well, an argument was just settled. Abraham was like, this is my well. And Abimelech's like, okay, you can have it. We didn't, I didn't even know what was going on. He's like, yes, let's make a covenant right now. Let's sacrifice seven lambs to describe that. No longer are you going to take my wells. These are mine. I've worked hard for this. I've dedicated these to the Lord. This belongs to me. Are you guys with me? But notice what happens. Turn to chapter 26. Look at Abraham's son, has to deal with the same king, same struggle. A Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. The Bible says, And there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went into Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell of you. So join in this land, I will be with you, I will bless you. For unto you and unto your seed I will give you all your countries. I will perform the oath which I swore unto you, Abraham your father. And I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give unto your seed in all these countries. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Verse 5. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. So what's taking place? here there was a what kind of in the land what was happening in the land there was a famine now where did Isaac go where did he go verse 1 where did he go the Bible says there was a famine in the days of Abraham Isaac went to who Abimelech king of the Philistines so there's a famine there's a need and, and Isaac goes to the king now, God rebukes him and says, listen, I don't ever want you to go to Egypt. I don't ever want you to go to any pagan king. When you are suffering, when you're going through a hard time, come to me. I have made a promise to you, to your father, that if you be obedient, I will take care of you. Even if the world is, is, is famishing from water and food, your bread and water shall be still. Sometimes as canvassers, we want to turn to our leaders, friends, it's over. The 10 weeks is now over. We oftentimes have used our, key, our, our, our canvassing leaders and kings and, and queens, and, and rightly so, they've worked hard, they've won our respect, they have gone through what we've gone through. Friends, the 10 weeks is now over. Who are you going to go to when you're feeling empty inside? Who are you going to go to when you're feeling like there's no one around you, there's no help around you, when you are in a secular university and you're the only Adventist there, when you're at work and you're not allowed to talk about Jesus? Who are you going to go to? 
Jacob, or excuse me, Isaac learned a valuable lesson here that I am now going to go to God. I'm not going to go to my father anymore. I'm going to go to the God of my father. I'm going to seek him when I feel like I'm starving, when I'm in need. He's the one I'm going to go to. Now watch what's absolutely powerful. Don't miss this. If you miss this, you miss the sermon. Here it is in verse 12. The Bible says, Then Isaac sowed in that land, where the land where God told them to go. Verse 12 of chapter 26. In the same year he received a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. He had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, and great store of servants. And the Philistines, what did the Bible say next? The Bible says that the Philistines, what everybody? Were the Philistines happy that Isaac was being blessed when the world was famishing away? He wasn't, they weren't happy. They weren't happy that everything that Isaac did flourished and something grew out of it. They weren't happy because they were dying. The world was dying, but this Isaac guy was alive. He was doing well. Notice this. So the Philistines did something. And don't miss this. This is what the devil is going to want to do with you. Watch. It's absolutely powerful. Verse 15. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham... His father, the Philistine, or his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Wells were a source of life, was a source of protection, was a source of this is my territory. The Philistines saw how God was blessing Abraham and Isaac. And he said, let's stop their blessings. Let's give them no hope. Let's stop their wells. Let's fill them up with the earth so that they can no longer drink and as a result, die. Uh, By the way, we're living in a famine. They need water. So let's go fill up all the wells, their life force, their life source, so that they can just die out and we can regain power again. So notice what you keep reading. The Bible says here that the Philistines filled these wells up with the earth. Notice the next verse. Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for you are much mightier than we are. Isaac departed thence and pitched its tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Isaac did it, digged again the wells of water, which they digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names by which his father called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. The herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from that. Notice what's happening. Every well that his father has made, he's going to it, and it's either plugged up by the earth or dirt, or people are striving for it. That's the only life source they have. There's a famine in the land. But notice this next verse. The Bible says, in verse 22, He removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. God. Jesus needed to go through Samaria because there was someone there that was going to make room for him.
like almost a thousand years ago. Isaac finally found a well, and there was no striving, there was no fighting. It was freely given, and they said, this, the, we shall call it Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord has made room for us. Here is Jesus, and the reason why Jesus is needing to go through Samaria is because he's going to find someone there who's going to make room for him. How is your well today? I'm sure it's running over after 10 weeks of summer canvassing. Amen? But how is your well? Are you making room for Jesus every day? Or have you been dependent on your leaders to give you worships every single day of the week in order for you to get some life in you? I want to tell you something, friends, that's going to be startling, but it's real. It's a fact. As soon as you leave this canvassing program, there's a devil out there that's looking forward to filling your well back up with the world. There's a devil out there that's waiting for you to leave iShare, waiting for you to go back home so he could fill up your life back with the world. Remember you used to do this? Remember you used to watch this? Remember you used to like to do these things before? And now these last 10 weeks you were chained and bonded and not able to do it anymore? Do you remember those days? Well, guess what? You can do it. Go back to those temptations. Go back to those earthly desires. Go back and soon you will find if you go back into them, your well is completely filled with the world. You are completely famished. You don't have any life in you anymore. There's a number of things that I want to bring out really quick. The woman was at a well where God made an altar, and the altar was named the God, the God of Israel. This woman went to that well maybe perhaps every single day, and yet she did not know the God of Israel until that day. I believe there may be some of us who have enjoyed these last 10 weeks going to the well, but not knowing for ourselves the God of Israel. I believe maybe perhaps there's some of us who are not like the woman at the well, not completely giving up everything at first to Jesus, but are struggling with a couple of things that have not fully let go. You still have some of the earth in your well, in your connection with God that you have not fully surrendered. This, uh, about a month ago, I went to Mexico, went to Puerto Vallarta, a beautiful place. I went there for a wedding. I was coming out on a wedding, one of my good friends. And it was amazing. I mean, there we had our own private beach. I hate the beach, but I like that beach. We had our own beach together. The water was warm. It was clear. It was amazing. Well, one, you know, one day the guys, we kind of, we, you know, we still like to have fun. We still like to be kids sometimes. So I said, all right, let's play Frisbee. But the way we're going to play is, I'm going to throw it into the ocean, and you're going to run, and you're going to try to catch it before the, before the wave knocks you down. So we were having a good time. We were getting knocked down left and right. Well, finally, I was going out, and somebody threw the Frisbee, and I missed it, and the wave got me, and then the wave took the Frisbee. So I'm kind of competitive. So I said, don't worry, guys, I'm going to get it. So I swam out. And as I'm swimming out, I'm like, man, this Frisbee is getting further and further. What's going on here? So I kept swimming and swimming, and all of a sudden, I got caught in a riptide. It took me. 
And I remember I was in this one section. I must have been there for 10 minutes. I was kicking. I was doing everything I can to get out. Now, I'm not a good swimmer. I doggy paddle. That's how I swim. And I'm just struggling. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I can't get out. And finally, I'm, I'm drinking all this salt water. The waves are crashing down upon me. And finally, I, my friends are just looking at me. I'm like, what do they think? I'm having fun out here by myself? So finally, I, I just look out and I said, hey, help me. Help me. And one of my friends runs the opposite direction. I'm like, where is this guy going? So he goes and he gets a life vest. I didn't know that. And he went into the, he put his uh, little fins on or whatever. And he jumped into the water and he started swimming towards me. It felt like an eternity. The waves were crashing. I literally thought, I'm going to die. I have no more strength. The water is getting into my throat, into my lungs. I'm coughing. I'm not having a good time. Finally, my friend gets to me. He brings me over to the shore. I have the life vest on. I'm floating. Brings me over. And I said, did you get the Frisbee? He's like, what are you talking? I got you, man. You're all right. And I was just looking at him. And then after I coughed a little bit more and after I got over the thing, he said, David, there's one thing that shocked me. He said, when I was pulling you out of the riptide, your face had an expression of no fear. Why? I said, because my well is full. If, if, I'm, if I die, I'm ready. Amen. Jesus has come to my well. He's filled it up. By God's grace, everything that He's shown me to get rid of, I strive to get rid of it. I am serious with my relationship with God. But friends, oftentimes we spend our lives trying to catch Frisbees, thinking it's all fun, risking our lives. When we regularly just take a step back, it's a Frisbee that I almost died for. Something that's worth absolutely nothing. You look in your life right now and ask yourself, what is worth of me holding on to this thing rather than letting go and embracing my Jesus? You'll find, friends, that there is nothing in this world that is worth more than just surrendering and giving your life to God. You'll find it as silly as running after a Frisbee and almost dying for it. John chapter 4. Turn back there. John chapter 4. Verse 10. If we continue on the topic, starving Jesus. The Bible says, Then Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that, that says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. For whence have you that living water? You may be sitting here and you're looking at Jesus saying, Look, Jesus, there is no way you could reach me. I have fallen so deep into sin, there is no way or avenue that you can reach me at. Let me tell you a little bit how God reached me. I was in the world, loved the world. I was getting a lot of trouble with the law. And the way God had to reach me was me, a friend faking me to go to a rap artist concert. He said, David, there's this rap artist that I want you to go hear. I said, really? I, I used to like that music back in the day. And he was like, yeah, you need to hear it. He's actually going to go at church and, and pray rap. Like, he's going to rap in church? I'm like, that's pretty cool. All right, I'll go. So I remember he gave me a flyer and I went over to Campus Hill Church. It was March 5th, 2007. And I went there and I sat in the back. I was all, you know, mad and, and all frustrated because it didn't look like a rap concert. The cross there and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, the African-American guy, bald head, goatee, comes to the front. 
He started sharing his testimony. And he talked about how he turned down an $800,000 contract. And I'm looking at this guy. I like, this guy is crazy. An $800,000 contract. And then as soon as I'm thinking that, he's like, that's worth nothing compared to what eternal life is worth. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden he starts talking about all kinds of things. And I'm sitting there just listening, listening. And I'm, at first I was really frustrated, but then God started working on me. And finally he makes an appeal at the end. Whoever wants to give their life to Jesus, come to the front. And, I, and the first thought was, no, I, I've sinned so much. I've fallen so far. There's no way that God will accept me back. I grew up a seven-day Adventist. There's no way God, I knew all this stuff. There's no way God could accept me. And the very next words that guy said was, it doesn't matter what your reputation is. Come to the front. God wants to change your life. Tears started streaming down my face. And I gave my heart to Jesus in March 5th, 2007. I want to let you know that in your little mind, it may think like it's impossible for God to fully reach me, fully reach my uncle, fully reach my sister, fully reach my family, whoever. But God can. Right here, the woman tastes it. You know the story, what ends up happening. The Savior fulfills her. He says, Where's your, bring your husband to this well. She's like, I want this living water. Okay, you want it? Bring your husband. She's like, I don't have any husband. He was like, all right, bring your other six husbands then, or your five other ones. And she's like, what in the world? You must be a prophet. How do you know these things? What's amazing to me is Jesus is able to tell her every sin she committed, and yet she's not angry with him. I mean, here's Jesus, and he unveiled her deepest, darkest secrets. And he says, I know you have six men in your life. I know you're not happy. I know you're empty. I know you feel like you're worth nothing. But guess what? I know these things, and I still want to fill you. I still value you. There was a one girl um, last year, Hesperia, California. Her name is Adrian. Uh, one of the canvassing leaders knocked on her door with last story experience. Hesperia, I was a leader there. I, I put them in a, a gated community. They went inside. They started knocking on doors. The last door, Leah knocked on the door. Adrian was there. Adrian comes to the door. She's kind of bewildered, kind of shocked, and kind of amazed that someone's at her door share, with a big old, big old smile and all. And she's showing her the books, and, 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 and Adrian's looking at it. And she sees the desire of Adrian. She sees these books, and she's almost started to cry. She had to hold it back. And finally, she says, you don't understand how much what this means to me. Right now, I was about to commit suicide. At this very moment, I was about to give up my life because my well is empty. The earth is inside, and yet I have no pulse. I am not alive. I am dying. I cried out to God. I said, God, if you're real, speak to me right now. And at that exact moment, someone knocked on her door. Gave her the Desire of Ages. That girl read the Desire of Ages in less than one month. Signed up for Bible studies. That girl went to the evangelistic series I was conducting. That young girl who was about to commit suicide was like the woman at the well. Seeking pleasures everywhere else except from Jesus. Yet she found him and now she's an active member of our church. Amen. Turn to your Bibles. To verse 28, the same chapter. After she hears this, after she tastes this water of life that Jesus is offering her, the woman then left her water pot and went away into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. 
So what's going on here? Gee, this woman just tasted this well, and what does she She just want to drink it for herself? She wants to share this water that has changed her life, that has transformed her life, and, and she's giving this water to everybody, saying, look, Jesus told me this, Jesus told me this, this has to be the Messiah, and there's an uproar in the town. The whole town goes out to meet Jesus. Friends, did this woman ever satisfy Christ's need? Did she ever give him a cup of water? I want to show you what Christ really thirsts for. Quotation from Desire of Ages, page 191. Excuse me. Our Redeemer thirsts for recognition. He hungers for the sympathy and love of those whom he has purchased with his own blood. He longs with inexpressible desire that they should come to him and have life. As a mother who watches the smile of recognition from a little child, which tells of the dawning of intelligence, so does Christ watch for the expression of grateful love, which shows that spiritual life is begun in the soul. You want to satisfy Jesus, this starving Jesus? You want to feed him? You want to, you want to quench his thirst? Give him attention. Spend time with Jesus in the morning. Open up your heart and say, God, I'm empty, I'm sinful, I need you. And you will find that as you, are, as you are being satisfied by Jesus, you are also satisfying him. This woman left Jesus thirsty. He just walked about 13 miles in the sun. He, the, we just read a quotation that he was weighty and just thinking about the cold water was just making him more thirsty. Finally, this woman gets there and she, and she sees the dawning of, of intelligence, of, of, her, of her heart being converted, and she sees he's giving him her attention, and she goes out and talks about him, and all of a sudden the disciples come and say, hey, we brought you food, and Jesus is like, I don't need that. What do you mean you ate that? You don't need it. Did you already eat? I have meat that you know not of. I have drank, I have, I have ate, eaten something that has satisfied me completely. You want to satisfy the needs of this starving Jesus in this world? Spend time with Him. Don't allow your wells to get a bit of this earth. Let Jesus take it all out. Another man, young man, leader, his name is Eric. We were doing another evangelistic series in San Marcos. And um, there was a woman there by the name of Connie. Listen to this. She was raised a Catholic, studied with Jehovah's Witnesses, studied with Mormons, and at that present time was going to a Pentecostal church. Seen it all, tasted it all. And Eric was going to her house or to this house, and she was about to get into her car, and as Eric was getting there, he said, hey, wait, wait, and he started staring at the camera, she was like, I'm sorry, I don't live here, uh, my mom lives here, she's inside, you could talk to her, I gotta leave, and Eric was like, wait a minute, you need this. Gave her a book. She took a step out, she started looking at the book, started looking through it, she was like, wow, this is amazing, yeah, okay, I'll get this, I'll get this. She signed up for Bible studies, Eric had the privilege of studying the Bible with someone he sold a book with for about a month and a half. Eric had the privilege of seeing this woman come to almost every night of the evangelistic series, and at the end, he saw this woman who he sold the book to decide to get baptized. This woman was getting water from a well that was filled with nothing. 
She went to all these churches seeking for contentment and satisfaction, but yet found it not until she found a church that preaches living water, that preaches of a coming Savior. I had the privilege of also knocking on a door who, was late, who inside was a woman who was starving. She has this incurable disease. Her son just died in a freak accident, construction accident. She was feeling depressed. Suicidal thoughts were going into her mind and she cried out to the Lord. She said, God, I, I've heard somewhere, by the way, her father was an atheist and her mother was into witchcraft. And she said, God... I'm speaking to you even though I wasn't raised to speak to you. I was raised to look at a crystal ball. I was raised to believe there is no God. I am crying out to you now because there's no one else I could cry to. I have sought help from this person, this church, and this. I've got nothing. So I'm asking you, please send someone to my house who will teach me things from the Bible and so I could feel some sense of life. One day later, I knock on her door. Her name is Jenna. I start studying the Bible with her. This woman loves it. She starts inviting her friends in the apartment complex. Start having a house that's full of people. All of a sudden, we start transferring in. I say, you guys need to come to the evangelistic series I'm about to hold. They came to the evangelistic series, friends. Jenna and her three friends, including her, her husband, who was not a Christian, decided to get baptized. Because they were tired of drinking from a well that could not satisfy them. I want to challenge you this evening. Maybe you have left your well. That, that, that well of the world, that, the things that the world has to offer you these last 10 weeks. You have left it. And for the first time in your life, perhaps, you have found satisfaction that has lasted longer than an hour. You have heard the Word of God speak with power. It has revolutionized and changed your life. And these weeks, ten weeks, have been an awesome experience. However, there's still some of the earth in you. There's still some of these worldly pleasures that behind closed doors you have still been partaking of. What I mean to say is, you have been going to the well every single day. You've been hearing worships. You have heard of this God of Israel, but the God of Israel hasn't been your God yet. You have not fully surrendered, and you know what it is, the things of this world, whatever it may be. And before you go home, you want to leave, you want to go home with a well that's filled with everlasting water. You want to go home filled from a well that will never run dry. Today you want to say, these 10 weeks, I've heard about the God of Israel. But like the woman at the well, I'm still hungry because I haven't fully surrendered some things of this world. But today, I want to make an altar 
I want to make an altar right here, and I want, and I want to call it the God, the God of Israel, not, not the God, my God, my God of Israel, my God, the God of David. I want to make an altar right here, and I want to surrender the things of this world, the things that have clogged my relationship with God these past years before, and even now, I want to let it all go. So like the woman at the well, I could feel a sense of satisfaction like I've never had before. I want to make an appeal. You want to fully let go of these earthly pleasures and grab hold of the God who could satisfy all your needs. If that's you, if that's your desire, you haven't fully let go of the things of this world. And if you hold on to it a little bit longer, it may stop your well from, from getting any more water. It may stop your growth. It may stunt your growth. But today you want to say, Lord, I'm letting it go. I'm telling you right now my secret sins, Lord. I'm telling you right now the things that I struggle with, and it's all right. Like the woman at the well, you knew my deepest, darkest secrets, and yet you still saw value in me. And Lord, I'm thankful for that. And Lord, I want to say I'm thankful by coming to this altar right here and claiming you to be my God. Not just for today, but for the rest of my life. If that's you, if there's a woman at the well today, I want to invite you to come right here. They're saying, Lord, there's things in my life I have not fully surrendered, and today I want to go home with my well filled. I want to go home with my well filled to the brim. I want it to be overflowing. I don't want to go back to the world, back home, where this, all these wells are that has no sense of, 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 of satisfaction. I want to go back home. I want to change my home. I want to change my friends by first allowing myself to be fully changed. You want to let go of the world today. You want to say right here, I am making an altar to my God and it's a place where I can continually get water from, the water of life. And it's going to be called my God, my God of Israel, the God of David, your name there. You want to make it your God here. You want to say, Lord, the things of this world I have not fully gone, let go of. I've been smiling at worships. I've been singing along, but there is a tune in my heart that is, is off-key that I want to get back on. And the way I want to do it is by giving up that thing to you right now. My second challenge. You want to satisfy and quench the thirst of Jesus. He's starving, you know. And the only way you can fulfill his heart's his heart longing, the only way you can fulfill, give him complete satisfaction, is by spending time with him every day. If you're in the front or if you're sitting down still, I want to make this challenge to you. You want you're going to raise your hand for this one. You're going to say, Lord, every single day, I want to satisfy you as you satisfy me. I'm either standing right here in the front because I want to be completely satisfied by you or I'm sitting down because I am satisfied by you. But today, Lord, I want to make a commitment where every single day I satisfy you and as a result, you satisfy me.
I want to open up the word of life and I want to drink from the well that will never run dry. I want to spend time with you, Lord, and, 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 and fulfill your needs. The needs of recognition, of sympathy and love. I want to give you that by spending time with you every day. If that is your desire of quenching the thirst of Jesus, this starving Jesus, by dedicating every single day in spending time in prayer and study the Bible, if, that, if you want to fulfill that challenge, if you want to quench the thirst of Jesus, I want you to raise your hand and say, Lord, help me by your grace. Go to that well that never runs dry. Spend time with you. Spend time talking with you. Spend time reading about you. And as a result, Father, I could walk away from my time knowing that I've quenched your needs, being quenched by myself. Praise the Lord. My brothers and sisters, there is a well that never runs dry. By God's grace, for the last eight years, I have not missed one day at the well with my Jesus. And that's the only way I'm going to keep going. That's the only way we can keep going. I beg of you, on this I share challenge, I challenge you, spend time at the well with Jesus. Let go of those earthly pleasures. Satisfy the need of Jesus. And you'll find that you don't need anything else. Let's pray. My Father which is in heaven, I am not a saint. I am not perfect. I am far from it. But Father, I've tasted from the well that never runs dry. I come to you, Lord, with my sins every day, recognizing that I am weak, recognizing that the earth may have come in a little bit that day. But today, Father, along with my friends here, I ask from my heart that you may take the world out. That, Father, I would find a place with you every day that I could say, I know the God of Israel. Help me, Lord, to leave this I share experience not knowing of the God or knowing of the God of Israel, but personally experiencing the God of Israel. Please help us, I pray. With all my heart, I say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.